Welcome to Leaders Call to Adventure, the show for those that take the road less traveled. I'm Lori Ference. In this episode, I speak with Tamara Fleming. In brief, she's an author, she's uh, an artist, she is a coach extraordinaire. She's so multifaceted, it's hard to describe her. She's just incredible. She's incredibly insightful. She's a healer. She's what I call the quintessential cowgirl. Now, I mentioned that in our conversation, and I'm not sure she quite agrees with that, but the reason I say that is because she has this adventurous, vibrant spirit and an amazing connection to the wilderness, which she really embraces in her life in Montana, which is the reason I called this episode Tamara Fleming, Life Under the Big Sky. Hope you enjoy it. So part of being in the now is breathing, being conscious of your breath. And when you're conscious of you, you know, when you stop and you just like decide to breathe and you're just present with your breath and then this whole other world opens up to you, you're like, wow, this doesn't even, you're looking out through your eyes, but it doesn't feel the same versus when you're in your thinker or in your ego, which is your thinker Mm -hmm. mind, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is why I feel to bring up this trip that you did. Oh, the the hike into Glacier. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the decision to do that was made in a flash because um, it's very difficult to get permits to stay at the lodge where we stayed, which is you can only trek into it. And um, so we... we you know, this is like when I was traveling the world, I got a, a just by like sheer miracle, I got a a, a, a a pass to go see the mountain gorillas to go actually trek up into the ruins or mountains and, and sit with the mountain gorillas. And it was just like I, I got the offer and it was just like I didn't even know what it would take to get there, how much it cost or what anything. I just said yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. The glacier hike was kind of the same way. I just said yes. And so, um, and there were three other women going, one of them who I I knew and two that I didn't. And um, so we just then got into, you know, planning for it. And I hadn't done any kind of backcountry hiking before. So I'd done around the world hiking with my 45 pound backpack, but I had no idea what it was like to, you know, hike in nature like that. So it was an experience, one, getting getting packed and getting, you know, what I thought I needed versus what I really needed and all those things. And so we got packed and then we repacked and repacked. And of course we left a bunch of stuff in the car because behind, because you don't need as much as you think you need, um, when you journey. So we got on the glacier trail and, and unfortunately because we were the first people into glacier, uh, in the opening season, it was the first day that this, um, Granite Peak Chalet was open. Um, We had a couple of the trails were snowed in, so we had to hike the steepest incline. So it was it was just a four mile uh, four mile incline 
about a 2300 foot gain, but it was, you know, a bunch of switchbacks, but it was constant. There was no flat spots. <laughs> it was just kind of a constant uphill go. So for four women who are all in their fifties, who were, are, are in shape, but not in great shape. Um, you know, we were like, holy cow. So I love that whole experience because it, it shows you who you are and it shows you um, who you, you, you know, the adjustments that you want to make as a person, as a human being, because you can have judgments on yourself. You can have judgments on other people. You can, you can be in self-pity and victimhood. You can whine, you can, or you can, you know, face the trail and, and move up the mountain. And so everyone in the group was at a different place of, of fitness and a different place of mental mental acuity, I suppose. And so we all kind of faced it a different way. And one of the women, the one of the women that I knew, she is an outdoor, she runs the Rock and Outdoor Sisterhood. So she actually is very used to taking all kinds of people up on hikes, on trails. So she's used to making sure everybody's having a good time and having a good experience and all of that. And me, I'm just like straight up the mountain. So <laughs> I just wanted to go up the mountain. So it's supposed to take about two and a half to three hours to go up with a pack on to go up to get up to the lodge. And it ended up taking us about six. Hmm. And, um, and, and I learned in that experience to stop and smell the roses. You know, my goal was to get to the, to the top, but then along the way, of course, what happened is you know, you're walking in this incredible, pristine nature. Glacier National Park is just li literally God's country. And you're looking out and you're stopping and you're in your, you know, you're sweating, but you're in your thirsty, but you're stopping and you're, you're seeing this amazing nature. And so I learned again in that experience with that kind of nature that there's nothing else but being right there. Nothing else. The, the lodge was fine, but it ended up not in being the goal for me. It ended up being, and I took a lot of um, photographs, and and um, we had just a, a very lovely wind up the mountain. And so there were a lot of lessons on that journey. But the main one, I would say, is that if you want to do anything, you can. And it just is a matter of you know planning your planning it and then going and then ma managing your emotional states as you go and continuing to check yourself for what it is, what kind of experience you want to have. So on the other side of the trip, the last day it was, it, when we had some amazing experiences, one night there was a full moon and, and, and it was almost like it was daylight, but you were looking at these mountains and valley where there were literally no people. And so it was just like, wow. And, um, in the end, the last day it rained. And so we had to put on all of our rain gear and everything and go down the mountain. And it was joyful. It was like, didn't matter what the weather was. It didn't matter at all. Um, we had had four days of various different kinds of weather. We had sun and heat and rain and, 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 um, wind and all kinds of things, not snow. We didn't have any snow, but, um, you know, it was it was this a, a journey and adventure in allowing and being in the present moment with literally what I call all that is in that kind of nature. You cannot deny it. No. No. Now everything else disappears. Then you're just yeah. part of it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's you know I I Glacier National Park is getting um, a little bit overrun. 
there's so many hikers on the trails, but they're doing a pretty good job at keeping the trails fairly pristine. So it's still one of those places on the planet that you just must see in your lifetime because it's just, you know, the Canadian Rockies too. Those are amazing as well. It's just gorgeous. It's just, it's just like the last place on earth that we haven't, you know, impacted somehow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's something to be said for that kind of, you know, high resonance beauty. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's pure and it's raw and, what came to me as I was driving back from my adventure yesterday, I went running with some friends up on the Bruce Trail, uh, a couple hours north of here in this area where there's waterfalls. And and uh, I'm really, you know, reflecting on what you're saying about stopping to smell the roses and whatnot, because what I noticed, and I think as a shift in me about... Well, knowing that the deeper reason that I'm out there is because I can access that um, in the company of other people, of course, but I can access that connection and uh, really appreciate the beauty of the planet. And it's not something that, you know, in the circle that I travel, I'm not saying that it's... um, that that's a common thing. I think it can be that uh, people are in the pursuit of the physical aspect of it, um, of the challenge of it, of going faster, um, farther, and feeling you know you know the the their bodies getting stronger, and that that's great. That's great. What I noticed for myself is that the the sort of contrast in wanting to stop and take a photo or seeing like a really beautiful field of purple flowers that, you know, being at the back of the pack as I was or as I chose to be, uh, I stopped and I thought, okay, well, people are still running, but I want to capture, I want to, you know, appreciate this and I want to take a photo of this and um, and I just say to myself and to the woman that was directly behind me this is what I'm here for this is what I'm here for so and it's also a thread it's like I said so when I was driving back um, there's this sort of invisible thread that comes through and this kind of coming through in the podcast is part of my uh, organic approach to this as I've mentioned that what you're speaking of uh, is directly related in this invisible thread to what Sylvia Warren described in my last episode about the essence of awe and mm-hmm. yeah and what it and what it means to be a human being mm-hmm. yeah beautiful mm-hmm. yeah so when you shared that about being out there and that vast enormous beauty I I felt the awe. I mean, I didn't see what you saw, but I felt a taste of what that must have felt like. Yeah, it it was so, there really are no words. I mean, I think it's like when people have um, cosmic experiences in their lives, you know, there's really no words to explain it because when you get connected to that kind of energy, and it's so big, 
I mean, you know, it's like one of the women, she wasn't from Montana and she kept saying, oh my God, the sky is so big here. And, and I was looking around thinking, I wonder what that is about. You know, mm-hmm. what, 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 a, why is that true for Montana in particular? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. what exactly is going on? And it's a, it's a really interesting thing. And then you look at the, you know, the clear water, the preciously clear, super clear water and the, um, the wildlife that's, you know, romping about. And you think, okay, I'm not really supposed to be here like this. You know, like I had fear about the bear encounters because it's, you know, like 95% that you're going to run into one, Mm. (laughs) you know, we didn't actually on the trail, but, um, cause it was early in the season and, and we, th- we, they were all down really low where the food and the, the berries and stuff were blooming. So anyway, um, but you know, you're, you're in, in awe when something is much bigger than you are and it blows your mind. Mm-hmm. Literally your mind can't go, uh, okay, I get this. I, I can make sense of this. I know what this is. You can't. It's like when I, um, flew once, uh, in Nepal, I, I took the, they have a short flight out to see Mount Everest because obviously unless you hike there, you really can't get back there to see it. So I took this flight and it's a really cool little airplane that has windows on each side. So one seat and a window. So everybody gets a view and they take you out in this plane and then they circle around by near Mount Everest and then they come back. Well, it's very difficult sometimes to even see Mount Everest because it's in clouds a lot because it's literally twice as high as any mountain that we see in our in our world here. And it's high. It's like incredible. And so um, when we were flying out there, we had a beautiful sunny day. It was just it was total bliss. And I was able to get up in the cabin with the pilots and I got up in the cabin and got the panoramic view <laughs> with the front shield window. And I, I just started to bawl. I cried. I was like overtaken by the grandeur and the beauty of, of that mountain and the, all the Himalayas, the Himalayas go on forever and ever and ever. They're just astounding. You, you see them and you just can't believe that there could be mountains that could go on for that long. And they do. And so it's a similar feeling on a different scale. And then when you're standing in it, you know, you're, you're, you're a part of it. I went out and I did some quiet meditation on that trip and listened and watched and felt and listened to the birds and the animals and watched the groundhogs running around and, and the trees blowing in the wind and the flowers blowing. And, and I think when you, when you come into a meditative state and you are in that place long enough, you become part of it instead of, an observer of it, you become part of it. Mm. And at that moment you are, it's, it's like we were on a trail at second day hiking up on a pass and we were standing on a fairly high level trail, um, you know, on the side of a mountain and right in front of us, like literally 12 feet out from the hill flew, uh, an Eagle just right at our eyesight, right out in front of us. And I thought, you know, these are no accidents. These things that happen in nature, they are eagles or and hawks are part of my animal totem. And they're there to send you a message that you're part of it. You're part of it. And we had a deer that was leading us up the trail. She would 
she would go up the trail and she would stop for a while and she'd look back at us and then she'd walk some more and she was just leading us up the trail. And so those moments when you become nature, become one with nature and you become part of it instead of the, the, the person that's walking on it and experiencing and, and, and taking it in, um, that's what I strive for. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, that's, what it, that's exactly what it is if we allow ourselves to really to be present with it because we, there is, the illusion is that we are not part of it, but the real is that it is our essence and that we are a part of it. That's the thing. <laughs> it is. I know. We think the mind wants to think it's separate, right? Yeah. 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 And that for me, it, you know, talking about awe, that's exactly it. It's the essence of awe is, and I explained this the last time in my last episode was um, feeling connected and completely at one with everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Completely at one. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And I think that, you know, we're, I think, believe, I believe, I want to believe that we're heading into a higher level of consciousness about how that works in mm -hmm. our lives. Mm. And because, and I mean, and when you go into a big city, it's hard to believe that that could be true. Um, but I believe that there's going to be a very, very large mass movement toward what we're talking about because people's bodies are breaking down and they're dying and they're getting sick because of the stress levels and the cortisol that's shooting through their body, you know, a lot of the time. And um, the world is getting more populated. And so we have to find inner ways to do that, right? In the city, we have to find inner, 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 inner body ways, inner inner mindset ways. And we have to find our outer ways that we do that. And we actually can't wait like for a two week vacation to do that. We mm -hmm, have to get mm -hmm. on a regular basis because yeah. if we're not, we are truly disconnected. We are in our, you know, mind and we are, um, we are disconnected from what's really going on. I mean, that's, there's no other way to say that nature is, I had no idea that I would love living in Montana I'm not really a cold person, so I didn't know if I would love living in Montana that much, but it's a very mild. We live in the banana belt of Montana, and it's gorgeous. And <laughs> I didn't even know Montana had a banana belt. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> it, it, it is. People will tell you they, mm -hmm. they used to get a lot more snow here, oh. and, they, and it's pretty mild now, but we don't want people to know that. <laughs> right, 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 right. I mean, it does get cold. I mean, it, get, it gets yeah. cold, but not like it does in the Midwest or up in the Great Lakes region, you know, not like that. <laughs> um, so the, the, you know, the balance, you know, the seasons and the balance and the beauty is constant here. And so, and because nature is bigger, you've heard me tell the stories about, you know, living in my cabin in the woods and having 130 elk in my front yard mm -hmm. as a, as a daily thing, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It was mind blowing. Mm -hmm. And, and it sold me on nature. It sold me on living in it and with it. And, the people who live here are fly fishermen and, and hunters and, you know, people who and hikers and outdoor people who really joy, enjoy it year round. And it's not to take advantage of it. It's to it's to be with it. I mean, that is the mentality of a true Montanan is to be with it because it is so incredibly gorgeous. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
I yeah. fell in love with it, got in my heart because it is my heart, you know, and it just, it's amazing. So are you from there originally? Where did you grow up? No, I grew up in rural Oregon, which is also beautiful. Um, in the, you know, outside of the Willamette Valley. Um, I grew up in a timber family. Um, and you know, so I learned about, I actually am a tree farm owner. (laughs) (laughs) we do log and we, we see it as a renewable resource. And when it's managed well, when forests are managed well, they are a crop, they are a resource. And, um, you know, I don't agree with cutting down old growth timber, but I do agree with, um, we use, I mean, my, my fiance is a log home builder. So the logs that build those homes are, um, beetle kill out of Canada. So yeah, the trees are dead. We're not going out and cutting down brand new fresh trees that wouldn't make very good log homes anyway, because the wood is green. (laughs) So it has to be drier wood. And so that's, you know, the wood comes from places where we're using what, what nature has given us to use. That's amazing. I had no idea that you were doing the whole beetle kill thing and that it's coming from Canada. I know that on our local trails, I often see a sign that they're cutting down trees because of that very reason. But I had no idea that anything was actually happening to those trees after, you know, that they were usable. (laughs) There's good. Yeah. Those, they have good, you know, the, the, the wood on the inside is good. The beetle kills mostly on the outside of the, of the tree and they kill it, you know, they kill it. And there's just tons and tons and tons of trees that have been, you know, it, that is nature right there. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. So beetle kill is something that came in. Um, now me, I might get some argument on this one, but it, it's part of what happens in the cycle of life. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, like hiking in glacier, when you're watching the cycle of life, you're, I, we, I took a picture of, um, 10, those tent worms, those tented, those worms that kind of get on the trees and eat all the leaves off of it. I sat and watched that for a long time. And then I researched it after I, after the trip to find out exactly what that whole psyche is about, you know, mm-hmm. the, the predator and the prey, I think is, is a mentality in nature that, you know, it's like, um, I remember in Yellowstone, somebody saw a baby bison by itself and they picked it up and put it in their car. Oh, and that you can't, you cannot do that. You can't mess with nature like that because, you know, first of all, if the mother was close by and that situation was different, but if the mother was close by, they could have been killed easily by, uh, a a bison mommy, a mommy of any kind in nature. (laughs) And so, you know, um, and I noticed too, you know, that in Glacier, there are a lot of tourists that come from far and wide across this globe and they are hiking in nature without bear spray, for instance, or without a, a raincoat. I mean, you just, it's interesting that it's a respect for nature and an honoring of nature and a, and a understanding of nature that is us mm-hmm. that we lost. Mm-hmm we lost when we became industrialized and, and, um, cityized and yeah, commercialized. We, we've, we lost touch with that. So in order for people to, I think, be in true balance, they have to find a way to be in touch with nature on a very regular basis. Right. And not what we want nature to be, but what nature is like allowing ourselves to, to feel what that really is instead of 
anthropomorphism, uh, yeah. the, the idea that we attribute, you know, our human ideas of what nature is to nature, and that's not really nature, which is really in your example of the buffalo. Right. Um, when we try to impose what we think needs to happen on it, that that's when things go out of balance. Whereas if yeah. we, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, here, um, there's the National Bison Range, which they have, I, there's one in Oklahoma, and there's one in, um, in here, in, in the Flathead. And um, you think about these places that have been there, it's a beautiful, it's actually its own mountain structure, it's, a, it's its own reserve, and it's protected. And so the animals know that. And so if you drive in there at the right time of day, you're going to see bear, elk, uh, mountain goat, sheep, um, bison, uh, red fox. Uh, you could see gray fox. I mean, it's just endless what you could see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you think about that, okay, that's a park that people can drive through. Mm-hmm. It takes two hours to drive through it. But you, but the animals know that they're protected. They are, they are, they are there and you are, you stay in your car and honor the animals. Right. And the, actually the Flathead Indian Reservation now manages that. They didn't used to, it used to be U.S. government and now it's Flatheads, which even puts a more amazing natural, you know, experience into the, into the place because it's like, Oh, the people taking care of these bison Mm -hmm. that they're raising, you know, that they're, they're, they're supposedly part of the original DNA of the original bison, Canada and America has had, you know, almost lost all of our bison. And so they're re re they're wild. They're, they're not, um, they're a different kind of bison than the bison that are raised for bison meat. They're a wild bison. So they look different. They're bigger. They're, they're just a different looking head and different looking animal. And you think about that experience and you, and you think, whoa, right. Um, I can go there, I can drive through there, but I shouldn't get out of my car. Really. You know, there are places you can get out of your car, but you are taking a risk and, um, animals can live cohabitating with us in that experience. Because yeah. we're not, we're not overriding. We're not, we're just, we're, we're, we're being respectful and we're, see, we're sightseeing. We're right. Going. And we haven't altered that environment enough to make it so that basically they're relying on us for their source of food, like from the town's garbage or that sort of thing. Right. I, I really right. can relate to what you're saying because I grew up, you know, uh, going to the national parks in Canada, just, you know, very close at hand and camping and all that sort of thing and, and driving, uh, on those mountain highways with my parents and, and all that, what you're saying is the animals coming up and you, you're able to see them. And it's like, we are entering a place where let's just say we haven't messed up the environment enough to <laughs> like that they can actually feel protected like you said and i never really thought of it that way you know that they would sense uh that but uh, but it, of course it makes sense it's an innate sense of of the balance and when things are out of balance that's going to affect their behavior right mm-hmm. so, yeah. yeah yeah and at the gate of the bison range there's a usually every year there is, and this is true for Africa as well in the African safari parks, 
the older animals are usually there, you know? So like if you mm. went two years in a row, you, in the, they're alive, you'd probably still see the same older animals, not mm. the younger ones, of course, but the older ones. So at the gate of the bison range is a, um, uh, an elk that has a rack on it that you just can't even believe how large it is. It's huge. And I got to uh, sit, it's used to hanging out in there because there's a lot of good food for it. And so it's right close to the road. So people do get to see it and stop. And I got to, I got out of my car and literally sat like in the bushes, like off the curb, which was about 10 feet from this elk watching it eat. And it just would look up at me and then it would go back eating. And it was like, and for an hour I sat there with this elk and I was, you know, not, not in its space. I was behind a bush and I was, I was watching, but I was, um, I was not interrupting its Zen. (laughs) (laughs) And there was something I was going to say about this, about nature. Um, you know, when nature is bigger than you are. So in a situation like that, when you see uh, wildlife, even moose, which are, you know, enormous, when you see wildlife in nature and you don't have a car, mm-hmm. right? So you're hiking out and you, yep. and you don't have a car. It's a whole different experience because you realize you are now prey, right? You're not predator. Right. And I think that distinction right there is a very healthy distinction for human beings to have. Mm-hmm. Now I'm saying I don't carry a gun, and I wouldn't carry a gun. I do carry bear spray in those situations, but I would not carry a gun because one, I probably wouldn't know. <laughs> I wouldn't have the energy to use it. <laughs> I couldn't shoot an animal. Mm-hmm. I'd rather be its food. Oh, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. But that that idea of being prey is fearful for people when they feel like they're in danger, and that's why they should go out in nature with all the right knowledge and their bear spray or whatever they take and experience that because it's humbling. Yes. And, you know, I know, again, from traveling the world, um, and I say this with my tongue in my cheek a bit, you know, if you traveled the world and you saw another American that was on a two-week or three-week vacation and they were running through everything and bossing people around and demanding that they have their dinner served a certain way in some of these countries, it was like... You are, you're not the, you're, you're out of your species, Mm. (laughs) right? It's the Mm. same thing. When we go into another culture or we go into another place, we don't have the rules of the road. We don't know what's going on. We don't know what the, what the proper, proper things are to do unless we've studied it before we went. We have to assimilate into that so that we don't call attention to ourselves. We have to become a little bit of a a chameleon in that and, and also show respect so it's the same thing in nature. We have to show respect for the animals and, mm-hmm. and what nature actually is providing us because it's not, it's not uh, you know, there's a lot of it when you're in a place like Montana or Canada, but it's not everywhere in the world. No. You know, we have population explosion on this planet. Yeah. And so it's going to start disappearing more and more and more. But when you're in places like that, you think, oh my God, right? It's yeah. Hard that we're destroying the planet when you're standing on top of a mountain in Glacier National Park. (laughs) Right. Which is, you know, although I think it's so worthwhile to talk about this, right, you know, and and feel into it and and share with people about how beautiful these places are. On the other hand, I'm thinking, why are we doing this? Because it's better that people don't know about it and don't go in there and ruin it. (laughs) Oh, I know, right? That's true. 
<laughs> that is true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Glacier is really, it's an, it's a worldwide attraction. And, um, you know, when you're on the trail, you see people from all countries. And the hard part for me, when I see, you know, people from countries that are not aware and they don't have bear spray and they don't have a rain jacket, you know, which I did see a lot of that. Or I'm some thinking, sandals on the trail, that kind of thing. Sandals versus yeah. good, you know, yeah. strong shoes. Yeah. But, you know, they don't realize that they are literally walking through the wild, even if they're on a trail that's right out of one of the lodges. Mm. I mean, the bears come down there all the time. We were standing in the lodge at, at Mini Glacier Lodge with binoculars looking at the grizzlies on the hill that had just been down in the camp the night before. Whoa. You know, I mean, this isn't, we're talking about uh, predator and prey, clue in, know your place, have your tools, have respect, yeah. have energy that's not filled with fear, but is filled with delight and love and become a part of the experience instead of separate from it. Yeah. Now, you're reminding me, you're mentioning the grizzlies and I... Like I said, growing up, spent a lot of time in the national parks and Banff National Park and, and hiking and camping in the mountains. And, you know, this feeling of having like, well, you don't want to you know, encounter a grizzly because, well, they will eat you, right? <laughs> they're, they're, you know, you have to beware of bears and, and all that, that sort of thinking, right? Um, and so while I'm saying this, I know that like feeding that fear and then therefore, just like the whole tick thing right now, I mean, being afraid of ticks is really, really in the consciousness. And it's not like ticks all of a sudden, uh, you know, in recent years are now like biting us all the time and causing everybody's, you know, getting Lyme disease. That's, you know, that's not the case. And, and, but there's that consciousness of fear around it that is actually keeping us separate. It's like, well, if you want to avoid a tick, then you should hike out there and you should tuck your pants into your boots and don't go in the grass. And it's like that whole feeling, well, don't really engage with it because you could be killed or, you know, seriously, you know, oh, get this right, disease, fear. right? You know, that That's sort true. of thing. So yeah. th I, I think that, you know, that there's some that healthy fear, that respect versus, oh my God, now I have to isolate myself. I can't engage with this. I've got to stay in this car and, you know, keeping a healthy distance. But I'm yeah. not quite sure I know what, what that line is, you know, especially when it comes to well, a massive creature like a grizzly. <laughs> well, yeah. And my, yeah. my outdoor uh, friend, outdoor rock and sisterhood, she would say, that you 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 have the skill set you learn the skills you learn the rules of the road like if you're going to become a survivalist you're going to go to school for that you're going to learn you're going to go to classes you're going to learn what the 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 tools you need are you don't go out into nature right here where i live and it's funny you bring up ticks this is the this is the the origination of the rocky mountain fever right here where i live the rocky mountain hamilton montana the rocky mountain lab that actually was started because of the Rocky Mountain tick fever is a very famous lab here that studies all kinds of really intense infectious diseases, but it's here. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. It's an, okay. It's an isolated valley and it can be quarantined fairly quickly. And, um, anyway, I could live here in fear, but Rocky Mountain ticks, you, you know, if you're a hiker, which we all are here, 
you're gonna go out and you just, you have dogs and you have, um, you, and you just, you go hiking out there and then you do a tick check when you come back and you just, you, you know, yep, they can get on you. They can get in your hair. And there's, there's certain things you do. Like you do tuck your, your pants in your socks. You do, you know, why would you not? Because you don't have to, but you, it, it just makes it a little easier. Right. But when you get back, when you check your dog and you check yourself, you, you realize that, oh, I just had a nature experience and this is not part of what I want to experience going forward to have any ticks on me. And so you just get them off and and there's no fear, right? I think if you go out into nature and you have fear, you're going to get a bear encounter. You're going to get a a tick encounter. You're going to get the things because you're attracting them. Right, right. Absolutely. I'm just reflecting on experience here, right? Because this is a big thing and you see the signs and everything like that. But I mean, I was saying to my son, because he, he got a tick um, about a month ago, and he didn't even know what it was. He thought it was a spider that was stuck to him. And so he just basically took it off himself and flushed it down the toilet, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And yeah. af- after the fact, after the fact, we're, we were like, what, what exactly was it on you? Then we showed him a picture, and he's like, oh, yeah, that, that was it. So then it's not a spider, it's a tick. And so we're, you know, it's like late on a Sunday or something. And it's, well, I don't really want to take him to emergency, but the, you know, as big as this sort of thing is, it's like, oh my God, I've got to get to the emergency. I've got to get him on antibiotics as strong as possible, as fast as possible. That would be the idea. Um, I called the health line that we have here in the province and just said, this happened. And they, you know, asked me a series of questions about it and then told me what to look out for. But it's not like, well, you know, you had that thing, you pulled it off you, now you're going to get sick and die from Lyme disease or whatever, right? Or you're going to struggle with it for the rest of your life. That's not necessarily the case. And that, like learning that process, that it, it's only here in Ontario anyway, the, the ticks that cause Lyme disease are like the side of a poppy seed. Now, as an ultra runner, I can't go out run with pants tucked into my socks, Right. That's just just not practical. It would, you know, to be hot when it's whatever, 35 degrees here with humidity uh, would be like it would just kind of defeat the whole purpose of it. Right. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm going to have dirt on me. Right. So like to discern something that's suspect a poppy seed size on myself versus just regular dirt, like I could live in that. And then, like you're saying, then attracting that fear. So. And I was also finding that going on hikes with my son, well, I can't, I can't go wander into the grass. I've got to stay here in the middle of the trail. Like that's just also really destroying the experience. Now, I don't know with Rocky Mountain fever is equivalent to Lyme disease. I don't know if the ticks are more prevalent there, but I just know that having that, that fear and that, that sort of, um, that concern as the primary concern when you're going out there is not healthy. No, because you're going to attract it. Right. I mean, we are powerful beings and don't get me started on that channel. (laughs) (laughs) We make ourselves sick. We create our experiences. We, when we start really taking responsibility. So like example for this one, when I hiked Glacier, I had about four weeks where I was like, I was in bear fear and I was like, oh dang, I don't know if I, cause you know, even right here, I mean like I'm 10 minutes from the trailheads right here into the massive miles and miles and miles of, of wilderness. And the bears do come right down into the, on the hiking trails here too. And there I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to Glacier. I'm going to run into a grizzly and I have fear. And I 
I know better and I'm walking myself through the storyline of, okay, what will it be like if I actually face a grizzly? And last year I, you know, there've been killings in Glacier, right. Of, 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 uh, bear. Yeah. And, and, and they don't really, well, let me get to that. You mean the second. bears were killed or the people were killed? No people, okay. you know, even a park ranger, you know, there, right. there just are these incidents where yeah. the timing is, is such that, you know, it creates an incident like that. Right. And so, and I, I have a, I mean, I have a lot of nature friends here. I mean, most everybody here that is like super nature and they're like, they're just looking at me like, yep, yeah, the bears don't want to eat you. The grizzlies will attack you. They will get you if you are bugging them and if you are in their way of their babies, but they really don't want to have anything to do with you. They, they really don't. They just want to be in nature and do their thing. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I haven't had that experience, but I had had a picture in my head of this story that I heard about this uh, uh, father and daughter who were hiking in Glacier on this one trail and they had a grizzly encounter and he explicitly talks about, they both survived, but he talks about the encounter and what they did to survive. And I had that in my head and I'm like, get it out of my head, get out of my head. So when I got on the trail, I had my bear spray. Now, mind you, bear spray is about a seven to nine second spray. It sprays for 30 feet and then you're out. There's no more spray. Yeah. So you don't test it. You don't, um, you know, try it out. You just, you just use it when you need to use it. You carry it on your belt where you can grab it really fast and do that. So as I get on the trail, I'm thinking, oh, great. I am, I am okay, here we go. We're going to, we're going to be and you know, you clap your hands and talk on the trail and make noise so that they don't, they go away instead of come towards you. Anyway, no bears. I, I deal with my fear as I'm going. Yeah, we're good. We're good. We're good. And, um, and then the next day we're at the lodge up at the top and we hear that there had been a, a black bear that had crossed the trail down below that we had just come up. And I'm thinking, well, now isn't that interesting? You know, I just don't think that I was manifesting a bear encounter. And I didn't. And in fact, I think I manifested it so well that we didn't even see him in the distance when we were out in nature. We had to wait till we got in the lodge or in a car. Mm. <laughs> that's when we saw him. I think that's so interesting. But, you know, we, we, we I didn't want to manifest facing a grizzly. I mean, you walk by trees on these trails where they have clawed the trees and you're like, yeah, I really don't want to interface with that kind of a claw ever, uh -huh, you know? Uh -huh, uh -huh. Yeah. And it destroyed me watching Revenant. I have to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think fear is uh -huh. one of those things that when you're, when nature is bigger than you, that it's just a great experience to, to work with yourself and, and to know that, First of all, whatever happens is going to happen. It's like, you know, these guys that built the United States that that traveled, the, the pioneer guys that traveled across this country on foot with no trails, you know, you think about them out there doing this. They had to have an attitude that they were going to survive. Yes. You know, that they were going to that they were going to be one with nature and they learned how to be one with it. And to um, I mean, I'm living right here right on the path where Lewis and Clark came through and they actually stayed for quite a while up the road here in Lolo travelers rest and, and, you know, Sacagawea and, and, you know, it's just, Whoa. It, wow. Oh, yeah. We're, you know, we're, they came, they, this is one of their, their part of their track through this Valley. And, um, and they stayed because, because here anything, um, west of here, you have to go over a pretty long series of mountain ranges. And so they stayed 
to wait the, out the weather mm. here. Mm. But you know, that's the other thing we haven't even talked about, but I will, um, I won't belabor it, but I'm living here. Literally what I feel like is one off of the Indian culture. And, mm-hmm. um, we in we have our cabin in the flathead and it's on the flathead reservation and that is a relationship that i very much intend to respect this is this land i'm sitting on right here was their land they were then ousted off the salish indian tribe were ousted off of this land moved up to the flathead reservation and you know it's the story across all of our country in terms of how that happened but you really feel it here because it's literally so still so serene in, in, in its its nature that you feel the the you feel the pain of it, you feel the authenticity of it, you you see the people, you see what it did, and you know that this was, you know, a hundred years ago. Yeah. Which is not long ago. And so there's a respect I have there too. We live on the Flathead Reservation, and I very much honor that land and intend to continue to honor it so much so that I'm getting married on that lake next year. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, I really the Flathead Water is one of the mo- uh, most beautiful. It's the largest body of water east of the or um, west of the Mississippi, and it's the cleanest. And Lake Tahoe is pretty clean and serene, and it's also a very deep lake, but Flathead is a very different energy. And when you're up in that area, you feel that whole that whole part of Montana up to Glacier was was carved out by glaciers. And there's a huge part of it that we live in now that was would be probably 500 feet underwater. It was a lake called Lake Missoula. Mm. And so you have a lot of history in the land. You have a lot of history in the people. You have a lot of history. The bison, the original DNA of the bison are there. So you feel very much um, what that could have been like before we settled it, you yes. know, before the white man came along and, and settled it and took their land and yeah, I have mixed emotions about all that. I have I have a lot of mixed emotions about that and how it works, and it's a very complex issue now. And if you're watching the series Yellowstone, I don't know if you get that on the Paramount channel, Kevin Costner, mm-hmm. there's a new um, TV series called Yellowstone on the Paramount Network. You can look it up online. And it was it's filmed, the, the house that the that the ranch that is hit John Dutton's main ranch is right here in um, Darby, which is right up the road. And my partner, they helped build the front of the, the log porch that got added onto that house for the movie set. It was pretty cool. Hmm. But that story is about ranchers, developers and native American Indians and the, and the current climate between and developers, the current climate between all four of those, um, factions and the, you know, the, you know, kind of a deeper look inside the story of what it would, what it w- looks like and sounds like, um, to be in a place like this and to be living in a place like this and have it try to modernize itself. So it's all levels. You start with the native American Indians, you go to the rancher, the, the, you know, the one that, that settled the place and claimed the land. And then you go to the government, you know, which which came right in 
in uh, alignment with the ranchers, and then you go with the developers that are new that are trying to exploit it and make it, you know, the the next rich person's place to come and live. And um, they say the story's out of Bozeman, but it's actually not. It's right here. They filmed it in Utah and right here in Montana. So you see the Bitterroot River, you see the ranch, you see the lifestyle. You get an insight into what that might have been like, what it is like, and what it might have been like in the past, but how the human psyche has um, has fallen to greed. You know, when you listen to Kevin Costner, I totally respect in what he does because he's always looking at causes in a very, very deep way. And he loves the cowboy life. And so he's a rancher that follows the cowboy code. And that is not a code that most people understand. There's, there's a book written on that called cowboy ethics. And, and that, that, um, that lifestyle has a a rule of the road to it. Not all of it's good, (laughs) but a lot of it is a code of ethics that we no longer have in this country. And so anyway, it's a pretty interesting series. And I just heard that they signed it up for season two. So that's pretty cool. Well, I'm interested in the cowboy ethics and uh, more specifically what that's all about. Yeah. Cowboy ethics. And you know, this is, this came, well, I was raised in a horse family, cowboy family. Yeah, I, whatever I think of you, like I think of you as the essential cowgirl. <laughs> no, I really wasn't. Uh, I rode horses and I roped and I... Well, this is what I, I'm talking about. <laughs> but I wasn't. My and there you are living in the wilds of Montana, right? So... Yeah, well... Yeah, yeah. and then it. your family is like a logging family. It's out. I don't know. It just... Yeah, I know we're, we're, we are the true. Uh, so here's the juxtaposition. I grew up in Oregon. I lived in C- San Francisco for 13 years. I lived in Seattle for 13 years and I lived in Philadelphia for two years. Now there's a, there's a, there's a, I lived like four blocks from Independence Hall. I lived in what's called Society Hill, which is the cobblestone streets that, you know, they all walked on mm-hmm. <laughs> truly. <laughs> and I wanted that experience in my life as juxtaposed to the West coast. Well, I, I, it's really vast to live on the difference in culture and language and way of being on the West East coast than it is on the West coast. And so uh, my family came to Oregon in 1857. So I have very deep pioneering roots. You know, my, my psyche is about pioneering. I've pioneered the world, right? Yes. (laughs) And, And, but I, and I was exposed to horses and, and, you know, my, we grew up with, uh, quarter horses and show my sister showed horses. And then I was always as a child sitting on the bleachers at roping club with my dad, you know? And so, and they still, my dad is 84 years old and he and my sister are still out doing cattle drives right now. I have pictures of that from this week. There you go. See, you're proving my point here. (laughs) But I wasn't really the horse person. I I like them, but I always said, you know, you have to clean up after them. And I, I, I went over to motorcycles because they were faster and you just had to put gas in them. (laughs) (laughs) But I love nature. And my dad taught me that, you know, my, 
as a child, I grew up riding around in his pickup truck looking at timber sales. And, you know, we would stop. I can remember this one time we would stop way deep in the in the woods and and he would say there you can can you hear the elk and, and we would hear him and then they'd be doing their call and i would get out and i would feel so compelled to try to communicate with them so i had a whistle uh, with my fingers that i could do and i could i could whistle and then they would they would uh uh what, uh, what i'm trying to i'm losing the word um not yodel but google <laughs> bugle and 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 then I would whistle again and they would bugle back and I would whistle again and they would bugle back and it was my my dad sat there and thought how is this happening this child is communicating with these elk and it was so fun for both of us we had so much fun oh yeah but my dad's also a, a has been a big hunter so I had to come into alignment with two things which about nature which are you know what's hunting really about yeah and what is logging really about when you're living with the land like that? And, you know, both of those are, if they're done in a way of honor and respect, they are about, um, food. They are about, uh, you know, your survival. They are about you creating things off the land. And if it's done right, it's like farmers, if it's done right and it's done well, then you're in integrity. You're living with nature. You're not, you know, some of my friends just are horrified that, um, you know, I, I am around people who have guns and shoot animals mm-hmm. and I wouldn't do it. It's not something I want to do and yet. You know, it's like one of my friends who's very, very, very conscious about that. You know, she's like, you know, she won't wear fur or anything, you know? And I mean, like part of my furniture is all leather and cowhide and stuff like that. And it's, 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 if it's done in a way that is, um, is honoring. So, so, okay, here's a good one. So, um, trophy heads when you go into someone's house and you see heads of elk and you know know, bison and all those kinds of things and some people are horrified by that well energetically if it's done with honor then you're honoring the animal the animal is gone the animal was food the animal was a tent a coat a, 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 a water bladder you know i'm talking about how these things are done in the world and and all things I believe have karma. And so if if animals are not um, uh, shot in a way that has honor and they're not eaten and they're not, you know, honored (laughs) for what they are, then you are um, doing something else Mm -hmm. in your integrity. You're not, you're, you're out of integrity. So, and that's a very fine line today, you know, um, trophy hunters that go to Africa and Mm -hmm. do what they do. They're part of those, Part of that program there is very real because um, part of the wildlife has to be controlled in a certain way. Um, you know, it's a very complex problem. I guess I shouldn't go into it because it is a, it raises a lot of feathers with a lot of people. But what I'm mainly talking about is when you live in nature and you respect it and you live with it and you honor it, that you're in alignment with being a human on this planet in a way that works that a way that's it that's that's working in the um in the cycle of life I love it I love that statement yeah so I and it has been kind of coming to me as you've been talking I I thought like let's just kind of really ground this in in the day in the life of Tamara I've had the privilege of seeing many of your photos as you watch the wildlife out out your window and experience all that but for those that haven't what's a day in the life (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, well, you know, that depends. Is That's a funny question because um, I can certainly sit in my office with my blinds drawn and not open them and look out at the expansive mountains that I have outside my window. In fact, that's what's happening right now. So I'm going to open oh, my... Oh, okay, great, good. <laughs> and so, um, you know... If, if I want to, um, and I do this sometimes, not all the time, but if I want to, I can get in my car at lunch and I can go up into the mountains, just drive up to a trailhead and walk up on a stream and sit on a rock and have lunch in, you know, nature in, in bear country. (laughs) I can do that. Um, I can also go to, um, Lake Como here, which is an amazing experience. It's be- it's beautiful. It looks like little mini Alps, you know, and it's, it's a lake up in the mountains. And I used to go there when I worked at that end of the valley, I used to go there for lunch. And so I go for lunch there, you know, so I think nature is a choice. It's all, it's, it's, it's around us in a lot of different ways, you know, and bless the hearts of who created, um, Central Park in New York, because you do get an element of that experience there, yeah. right? Yeah. So it doesn't have to be Montana. It can be a lot of places. But here, my life is looking at it. I mean, it's like Terry, my my fiance and I were talking last night about it. We always talk about it, how how incredible it is to live here. And he goes, and he drives to work fairly early in the morning when the sun is rising and shining on the Bitterroot Mountains. Oh. And he said, I just can't, it's hard for me to believe the magnitude of the beauty here because it's different every day. And I live here, you know, and I get to see pristine nature, literally pristine nature every single morning of my life. And there's nothing like it. And I have lived here for six years now and I've lived up in the mountains. There's kind of what they call two sides of the valley up in the mountains in, in my little hundred year old cabin. And that's where the elk and, you know, I couldn't even keep my doors open in my house because <laughs> wildlife would come in. <laughs> I opened the door one day and there was this enormous turkey standing there with its feathers out. And I'm thinking, okay, who else is having this experience on planet earth? This is <laughs> Uninvited guest at the door. (laughs) Right? I'm like, no, you cannot come in. And and then I realized that the people that lived in that house, this is the story behind that, but the people that lived there were also, they'd lived there for 60 plus years. And they had created Dutch doors because if you, you could leave the top open, but not the bottom, because Mm. if you left the bottom open, you'd have all kinds of critters in the house, but you could leave the top open. And, you know, only birds then could probably come in but you know it's just it's you're part of nature you're not you don't you're not bigger than it it's bigger than you and you you learn a way of being in alignment to it and not being afraid of it mm-hmm. yeah I don't know it's just like I remember childhood memories of watching Grizzly Adams and thinking you know this is <laughs> I don't know if you remember that show or not but know. you know it's that or or like one of my favorite movies from back in the day was Jeremiah Johnson right so it's the essence of really living in and that I feel like there's there's really the sense of adventure in that because you don't know what to expect and what's going to show up right no yeah there are probably gosh I want to say close to 20 between 15 and 20 major trail hikes 
up in the mountain. The mountain range that's to my west, 10 minutes away, is the Bitterroot Mountain Range, and it backs up to the Idaho border. And the Idaho, on the other side of that, is miles and miles of the, of the Bitterroot Selway Forest. So I've flown over it, actually, in a small plane, and I couldn't believe how much nature is out there. In fact, when the fires start, they have to let them burn because uh, there's no way to get back in there. It's so wild. So, so the, you know, the other thing that I want to say about your, your Grizzly Adams and <laughs> Jeremiah Johnson, you know, yeah, yeah. um, is that if you live here, if you li- you can live anywhere in the world and you cannot realize where you live yeah. very easily. You can live in a city and think you live in a, in an atrium. You can live in a, in the country like this, and you can think you live in a city. It's your attitude about honoring the land of where you live. Mm -hmm. And Terry and I are both history buffs. So we love to know when, when people visit with us, come to the cabin and we visit, we tell them stories about the land they're sitting on. Because if you come to a place and you don't know what happened there in history, you're missing so much of the energy and so much of the story. And so you can, I can live in Hamilton, which is a town of about 4,500 people. And I can think I live in a little small town in, oh oh yeah, by the way, I just happen to have mountains here. Or I can live in a place that says, holy cow, I have access to, I mean, one of my hikes in preparing for the climb in Glacier was this hill here that is, um, really steep, but when, and it's just sitting there by itself. And once you get on top of it, you have a panoramic view of this valley. And it's like, you have the Sapphire mountains to the East, which are all filled with gems, gemstones. This is where they mine, um, um, sapphires and of course, sapphires and, and other kinds of gems. And then you have the, the ragged bitterroot mountains on your West. So what I'm saying is you can live in a place and not, and you can forget that you live in a place like this. Or if you were born and raised here, you may forget in comparison to the rest of the world, how incredible it is. Or you can go, oh my God, every day, I cannot believe I live here and take part in it and experience it and um, understand it. Two very different ways of living in a place. And I, I presume that you attempt to be in that third place mm-hmm. most of the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've yeah. spent a lot of time here understanding the story behind, and Terry, too, he loves this. Um, I can tell you the story of the Salish in- Indians who inhabited this valley and the tragedy of our government moving them out of this valley. And they were extradited to the Flathead Reservation, which, mind you, is one of the most gorgeous reservations I think there is. But still, when they Salish, they were very kind, you know, um, loving um, Indian tribes. They weren't they weren't a violent tribe. They were more farmers and and uh, just wanted to exist in a beautiful place. And we told them they had to leave white. The white the government told them they had to leave. And when they left. Um, there is there is rumor that they put a spell or a, a whatever you would call that in on the Bitterroot Valley that the white man would not be able to be successful or communicate well here, 
And you do get a sense of that, you know, so I do believe in energetic curses that that if somebody has an intention or a group of people have an intention and people buy into that intention, that that can become very much reality. And so it's got an interesting um, cultural flavor to it, I think, because of that. Um, There are a lot of newer people moving in here, but um, when you talk to people who've lived here their lives, there's a very clear cultural story that goes with that. And it, there has, it has a lot to do with the feeling of, dang, you know, we could have coexisted with them here in this valley. There was no reason really to send them out of this valley, but it was a potential um, uh, crop valley. Um, there's been apple crops and all kinds of different things. And anyway, it's, it's a long story, but you get the idea that why it's and it's happening in our world right now, which is why can why can we not coexist? And I believe my spiritual self says that we are moving into an era where we are going to have to learn how to coexist. Okay. There are going to be too many of us. We will not all survive, and we have to learn how to um, do it a different way so that we're not, you know, adding the big plastic ocean elements. We're not, you know. T- t- tearing or burning down all the trees. We're not, we're not hurting the land. We're not pesticiding the land. I mean, this, this isn't sustainable, what we're, what we've been doing. And we know that, and we're changing that. And I believe there's a lot of consciousness happening. That's, that's doing that. And being here in Montana, we have our own battles with a lot of that and development and pesticide use and we don't have recycling here and you know there's just you know a robust recycling program so all the waste we use here is going into the landfills they don't recycle glass here at all yeah because there's no money in it (laughs) yeah you know so these are the things that we're facing that i believe we are on a path to humans are amazing and if we if we come into alignment with each other in collaboration and in the heart, we will find solutions and create solutions that will take the earth into a new, into a new era. Um, I want to believe that that's happening right now and that we're in, we're witnessing the beginning of that big turn. What makes you, because, you know, there, there is, I think, power in observing the contrast, right? The, you know, the things that we don't like that are really sort of grotesque in, t- <laughs> in today's world and, uh, you know, the, the ugliness of humanity can is really, you know, really front and center. And I, I feel that there's power in, in recognizing the contrast, right? And knowing that when we see these photos of the garbage that's uh, surrounding, I saw the other day, uh, the Dominican Republic, for example, and this and the plastic ocean and all these other things that feel really out of balance and unsustainable that, and I have to believe this, you know, I've got, well, have to, I, it's a choice. It's a choice to also hold that vision. You know, I've got an 11 year old son, a 20 year old daughter. And while I have, a friend who has kids that are a little bit older in their 20s um, who don't want to have kids because they're saying, you know, that this is just, you know, we're just, this is the end, right? Um, That I don't want to say it's a responsibility to hold a vision for something different, but I'd like to say it's a choice. So when you say uh, that you believe that that's the case, what sorts of things are you witnessing? What sorts of evidence? What things are you focusing on 
that demonstrates that. Okay. <clears throat> There's a lot there. So first of all, I love what you said about that, it, that contrast, because contrast does create an opportunity for choice. And because humans have free will, we have the choice to do anything we, we, we want, basically. In my training, right, we were much more co conscious and loving human beings eons ago in our, in our making. And we, when we kind of lost our consciousness with that and became more separated out, we, we fell into duality, which is <clears throat> the human with the free will. We, we also experimented with things that were, were good for the planet. And then we started getting a lot of other ideas and that was starting the devolution of our consciousness basically. So I'm going to start with that big picture. That's my belief. And that when that happened, then we have had to come and rise up and, and, and learn our way back into the consciousness that we actually really are and that we deserve to be, which is a different kind of way of being. And I could talk for hours on this right now. So the change that's happening right now is happening is so obviously because we are in an accelerated there's if you see if you listen to scientists and you listen to you know other metaphysical people you you you're hearing them talk about the exponentialness of change um i can't remember where i heard it but the last the last time i looked at this it was like change happened in you know 20 years or 30 years or 50 years then it became 10 then it became 3 then it be, or 5 then it became 3 and now it's 18 months so the level of change that we're facing is dramatic. I mean, it's just, it's exponential. We cannot keep up with, with it anymore. The, the human mind can't keep up with it. We, we have to find a safe place, a sect, a place to focus so that we can kind of like know something. And then you have Google, which opened up our expanded, expanded the world's mind. Okay. So what I mean by that is when I was traveling the world 20 years ago and sitting on an island, a little island in Indonesia, those people did not have a phone. They did not have TV. They did not know anything about the outside world. Okay, be like going up and finding the, uh, you know, the um, any tribes on an Indonesian island. And they were, you know, what they were playing with and what they were doing with their time and how they were being was really, you know, amazing. And it was next to nature. And when the internet came, so that was right when Hotmail and AOL were starting to become popular. And so the post offices in these small towns, in these remote places, were starting to get a computer or two. So people were starting to be able to have time to go on the internet. Okay, that was 20 years ago. Yes. Okay, the world did not know about the world yet. In, in most of these third world countries, they had no access to that. And then all of a sudden, within that, this last 20 years, boom, the world now knows and sees everything. And to tell you the truth, most of those people out there want to become American, U.S. people, because they see this country as the panacea of all life and wealth and all, the, you know, wealth, which is greed, actually. Mm, mm, mm. So they all, you know, and, and if you're out there, you know, and you're a woman, they all want to marry you. because that's <laughs> Especially if right? they hear you yeah. and blonde, etc. <laughs> right, exactly. So they yeah. want to come back to America and be part of it. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. That, it, But what I'm saying is the natural part of the world that was predominant then, you know, Africa, Indonesia, you know, all, all of these countries that had their very natural parts have completely been changed. 
So there really are very little places left on the planet now that are about that. So let me go back and answer your question about change is exponentially has sped up. And so we have the choice to, to be able to do that. Consciousness is amazing because consciousness grows on itself. It, that's evolution, right? We, we, we become we become what we focus on, we become what we learn, we become what we are facing. And so right now on this planet, and I say this from a coach and a healing standpoint, people's stuff is up. They are having to face. And so I always love to look at my week because when I coach and I heal, uh, do healings, the, there's a theme in the week. So right now, this week, the theme is anger and fear mm. and feeling isolated. Mm. Okay, those are primal. And they are massive in our world, right? People feeling those three things. And so what we have to do individually is go after those three things in our own selves, in our own lives to literally what I would consider flip over the experience to know that we are creators, co-creators, we are powerful, our mind and our focus creates our world and that we have the power to do that. And that when we do that, we begin to make changes in the world that are going to sustain our, our species. If we don't do that, we will kill our species. We will annihilate our species. It's not Mother Earth that's going to do that to us. It's us. It's like a gun doesn't kill a person. A person with a gun kills a person. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, my work right now is I am I'm 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 leaning into it more and more and more is to authentically align with what I feel my part is, my purpose. And my and I think when when once you once you really get in alignment with your purpose, now your purpose can be everything from just being in joy and 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 seeing beauty every day or doing something like Elon Musk is doing where he's creating technology that's going to take us forward. You know, there there's many spectrums in in between. For me, I feel like I'm in alignment finally after my dark night of the soul experience. It took a while. It was a progression daily of kind of and week to week of coming out of that and learning about that to come into my true sense of understanding about why I had gone through that experience, why I had experienced bliss before that and then fell out. Now I've read stories about that happening with people and I understand a little bit more why, but that that all had to happen with me in my life so that I could I could come into my own true sense of who I am and be of service in this world, which is what I believe my journey is about. Thank you for listening to this conversation with Tamara Fleming. You can find links to her website and her book in the show notes. Does it have you dreaming about living under a big sky? It certainly had me reminiscing about my childhood growing up in Alberta and the feeling of openness, connection, and wonder. Until next time, here's to your great adventure.
Oh, 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 oh,